presence with us, your blessing of your presence within us, Lord. Oh, how glorious that is. Sometimes, Lord, we can take that for granted. We can tend to not even give it any regard as we begin our day. But Lord, might we this day, above all others, because this is the day that you have given, that we might praise you. Might we, we, might we remember who you are, what you have done, the reality of you within us now, your presence with us, and Lord, what shall be in our future because we place our faith in you. Because you died for us, you took away our sin, and we will dwell with you forever and ever and ever. So God, thank you. Be praised, be honored, be blessed in this place today, we pray, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Well, good morning, guys. How are you all doing? Why don't you stand and greet one another in the name of our Lord Jesus? Good morning. Good morning, ladies. God bless you. Good morning. I don't do stairs too, too well. That, that's fine. Me neither. Great to see you here this morning on our final Sunday of February. Two months are in the books, two months of 2024, basically. Although we do have 29 days this month, don't we? Being leap year and all. Different, different, uh, different month this year, uh, here in 2024. Guys, open your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 2, if you will. I do want to encourage you guys to be... Uh, looking at all the things that are going on. And yeah, we do have Easter coming up uh, within the next, uh, uh, the next, well, well, the 31st, the end of next month. So it's just like five weeks away from now. So uh, it's going to be a blessed time. And on that Passion Week, uh, we're, we're going to be having services on those days, Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday from 7 to 8 p.m. And, and what we like to do on Passion Week is take like on Monday of Passion Week, for example, we'll take a look into the, into the, into the gospel accounts and we will uh, do a teaching on some um, passage that actually occurred on that Monday of Passion Week. And the same for Tuesday, the same for Wednesday. So it's, it's a fun thing to do. And, and I think it's a real blessing to do that as well. Uh, as we look forward, of course, to... Um, 
Easter, Good Friday, and then Easter. You know, the Lord giving his life for us, bearing our sin, and then, of course, uh, raising, arising from the dead. So it's going to be a wonderful, wonderful week together. I, I do want to thank you guys for your prayers for me and my family, for my mom. As you guys know, I wasn't with you last week, of course. Uh, on Saturday evening of last, week, last weekend, um, mom went into the presence of our Lord. And we're grateful for that, you know. I mean, there's a sense of relief in that uh, and sadness. You know, again, that bittersweetness is there, but uh, we're so blessed uh, that the Lord has done what he has done for us and that we have the hope that we have in him. And, you know, as we were singing just a little while ago, you know, and in that uh, the, the one song that we were singing, uh, and we had the line, our, eye, our eyes transfixed on Jesus' face. You know, I was, just, I was just imagining my bride and my mom, all, all who have gone before us, and us someday, we can only imagine, right? Uh, in that place where we will see him face to face. And have you guys seen that, that uh, uh, drawing? It, it's, a, it's not a photograph, but a picture of, it can be either a young woman or a young man obviously entering into the presence of the Lord with their arms just wrapped around him and this look of joy on their faces, you know. I, I love that, and, and I think it's a, it's a good illustration of where we will be one day and the attitude, the joy that we'll have at that time. So thankful to the Lord for what he has done. But appreciate your prayers. Uh, we are planning out the memorial service uh, it's going to be at her church out in Hesperia on March the 23rd, uh, so we're looking forward, uh, making plans for that. So, again, thank you for your prayers. Okay, guys, let's go and get into the Word, shall we? We're in 1 Peter chapter 2. Would you stand with me as we honor the Word of God? We're going to be looking at verses 9 through 12, just those four verses today, but it's packed with quite a bit of stuff there, uh, as we see uh, is the case in just a few verses in the epistles in the New Testament. 1 Peter 2, 9 to 12, and I'm reading from the New King James Version of God's Word. But you are a chosen generation a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, who once were not a people, but are now the people of God, who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy." Beloved, I beg you, as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul, having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, that would be unbelievers, that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may, by your good works which they observe, glorify God in the day of visitation." Father, we pray that 
Lord, you would pour your Holy Spirit out upon this place and upon each one of our hearts. We know that he's present with us, even as, as he drew praises and worship from our hearts and through our lips unto you. Might he be with us also to give us understanding of your word, to open up the eyes of our hearts to see you, to see your truth, to have understanding so that we can indeed be that kind of light in this world that as Peter describes here, people will glorify you, Lord Jesus, in the day of visitation. So be with us now, Lord, we pray. Be praised, honored, and glorified in us and through us in your precious name. Amen. You guys may be seated. Well, two weeks ago, as we looked at the first eight verses of this chapter, we, we saw that in the last part, the last portion of that passage in verse 8, that Jesus, being the chief cornerstone, was rejected. As was prophesied in Psalm 118, verse 22. And it became a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. And the last phrase there, the last part of verse, of verse 8, says, They stumble, being disobedient to the word to which they also were appointed. Uh, those who do not acknowledge Christ, he as the chief cornerstone becomes a stone of stumbling and rock of offense. They stumble because of that. And, and, and as we move into this passage here, beginning in verse, verse 9, there's a continuation of thought, of course, but we see the contrast, that contrasting word, but. While they stumble, while they are disobedient to the word, Peter writes, you, and that word you, that, that pronoun is uh, uh, emphasized, there's an emphasis on that, but you, they stumble, they um, are disobedient to the word, but you are, and then we see four different terms here in the beginning of this eighth verse, but you are a chosen generation, you are a royal priesthood, you are a holy nation, you are his own special people. What a wonderful way to be described as the church of Jesus Christ. And, and individually, as members of his church, individually as a person whom God has chosen for himself. He has brought you into this, this royal priesthood, a kingdom of priests meaning that we individually are priests and we have royal lineage spiritually, even as Jesus is our king, we have that place as kings in this priesthood. We are priests in his kingdom. We are kings within the priesthood. So it's like they, 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 they intertwine with one another. We'll be speaking more about that in just a moment. And a holy nation, 
as well as his own special people. Just wonderful terms that God uses to describe us. The description of the church here, as we see in verse 9, uh, is very similar to what we see uh, in Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 6, in terms of the description of Israel. Those verses read like this. For you are a holy people to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for himself, a special treasure above all the peoples on the face of the earth. We see God's heart um, revealed in terms of how he sees and, and what he feels about the way that he values the way that he esteems his people. And we, we can't miss that. One passage out of Isaiah, chapter 41, verses 8 to 10. Look at this. God says, But you, Israel, are my servant, Jacob, whom I have chosen, the descendants of Abraham, my friend, you whom I have taken from the ends of the earth, and called from its farthest regions, and said to you, You are my servant. I have chosen you, and have not cast you away. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Yes, I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. How does that make you feel? Have you guys awakened yet from your sleep, from your slumber? <laughs> Did you read that? Did you hear that? How does that make you feel? I'm still not happy with your response. <laughs> I mean, this is incredible. It's what God has done for us, but how he sees you and me. And what he will do for us. We need his help because, well, well, he will give his help because we need his help. He chose us. He chose you for himself to be his own special treasure, his own special people. Now, that's an incredible thing. He called you to be a holy nation. He, he called you to be a, a, a as a, Jonah, as, a, as a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, he's called you to be a holy nation. I mean, this, these are incredible things that he says about us, the way that he feels about us. And, and, and I think we need to take it this way. I, I, I think sometimes we feel like God, being merciful as he is, we can feel like, yeah, because we can have a tendency to feel like, well, we're not worthy, but you know what, guess what, we're not right? We're not. We want to feel worthy. We want to be worthy. It's a part of our human nature to desire that. And at times, we, we just refuse to see it. But we're not worthy. But at the same time, we, we want to be worthy, but not feeling worthy because we want to be worthy. It's different than knowing that you're not worthy and receiving what God has done for us and, and, and the way that he sees us and so forth. But the point that I'm making is that sometimes we can feel like God in his mercy just looked down upon us with pity and said, oh, you poor people, you poor, poor people, I'll, 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 I'll give you a break and let you enter into my kingdom. Come on in. And that is not what it's like. 
while he does show us his mercy, he does not treat us the way that we deserve in the sense of utter banishment from his presence for all eternity. But, but he chose us. He sent his son to this earth as the Lamb of God, to pay the price for our sin. He bought us for himself. He redeemed us. He bought us for himself because he wants us. He wants you. That's why he chose you. He loves you. He bought you. And basically, in buying you, we think about those who's gone before us. You know, I mean, my bride, my mom now, a week ago. You know, you're mine. I bought you. Come up here. I want you. I want to spend eternity with you. You see, it's not just that we want to spend eternity with him. It's not just that we want to spend eternity in his presence. He wants us. He's the initiator, right? He wants you. So let's get over that thing about, you know, needing to feel worthy, wanting to feel worthy, but then we realize that we're not worthy and we feel bad about it. I mean, God's grace and mercy has been poured out upon you and, and upon me. And guys, he loves us and he wants us for himself. He wants you. It makes me think about that poster that we see once in a while about with Uncle Sam. <laughs> with his finger. I want you, you know, pointing at you, you know. Um, but let's put Jesus in that picture pointing at your chest, saying, I want you for myself because I love you. I think that's a very, very important thing to, to, to remember and to get into our minds is the reality that he loves us and all that he's done for us. We're, we're a royal priesthood. A, a holy priesthood is what he calls us, uh, what, what uh, Peter writes in verse 5 of this chapter. But we belong to a priesthood, meaning that we are priests. And we have the privilege as priests, we have the honor as priests to come into the presence of God. A priest would represent the people before God, as well as speaking for God to the people. And we are that priesthood. We're a priesthood that is both holy and royal. We are set apart by God from the world and unto himself, holy, set apart from the, the sin in this world, set apart from our own sinful nature, set apart from the way that we were, the way that we acted before he called us unto himself. And now there's a change that takes place. He's made us holy. So we stand before God in his holiness. But as we walk in this world, there's this, there's this process of beginning to, of, of, of acting, beginning and then continuing to act more and more, to behave more and more in that holiness. You know, this sanctification process or this be becoming more and more like Jesus in a practical way. I am holy, God's made me holy. And, and, and basically what, what the Bible teaches us is God has made, made you holy. God has made me holy. We are holy. Now, let's act like we are. Let's act according to what God has made us to be. 
It's about what we are. It's about who we are. It's about our being, not so much what we do, but at the same time, what we do will flow from what we are. We are a, a, a holy priesthood. We are also a holy nation. We are set apart by God and his own special people. His own special people. We like the idea of being special. As unspecial as we may be in all practicality. As unspecial as we may feel because of the way perhaps we've been treated by other people. But by God, it's not that way. We are his own special people. And as we read from the Old Testament, uh, that th- those, those verses that Peter draws from in describing us as a church, he, he's remembering, as a Jewish man, he, he's remembering these passages and, and the idea that, that, that the people of Israel, we as a church, his own special treasure. You're a treasure to him. That, that, that's just a, a, an incredibly incredibly powerful uh, thing for us to remember. Don't forget that he loves you and that he wants to spend eternity with you. He wants it. That's his desire, to spend eternity with you. And he gave his only begotten son so that that could happen. He sent him as the lamb of God to Die for your sins as that sacrifice in our places. Send him to purchase us for himself so that we will be his very own possession. He is our God. We are his people. That's pretty cool, huh? Let's never, ever, ever forget that. We see also that as we continue there in this ninth verse, there's a purpose for this. From God's perspective, there is a desired end, and that end is this, that, that we, he called us in this way, and he sees us as this, this is what we are now, that, that we may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. That we might proclaim his praises, that we might proclaim his excellencies. That may be a better way actually to, uh, to, to translate that word. That we will shout it from the, the mountaintops and from the rooftops, <clears throat> proclaiming to, to, the, to the world around us who he is and what he's like. But we proclaim more, well, we proclaim not with just simply words. Yes, we use words. I like the way that Francis of Assisi put it. He said, preach the gospel at all times. If necessary, use words. I think that's a very sound principle by which to live. We are to live according to what we are 
And when we are becoming more and more Christ-like, meaning we, 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 we have his, his love that we are, we're loving other people with, we, we have his joy, we have his peace, we have his patience, we have his self-control, the, the fruit of the Spirit. And we are acting accordingly. People are going to see something in that, and, and, and they'll take notice. They'll take notice of that. But it, it is our role to proclaim him for who he is. You know, in our world today, and it's not just today, it's, been from, it's since the Garden of Eden, really, when our adversary, the devil, through the serpent in deceiving Eve, he's been deceiving the world ever since. And our world today does not see our Creator our God for who he really is. In fact, the world has a very negative picture of who God is, doesn't it? A very negative picture. They, they don't see him as good. They don't see him as loving or kind, merciful, gracious, as who he claimed to be. Not at all. But see... That's what we're supposed to do, is to proclaim him as such, not only in word, but in deed. That others may see him, and, and, and we'll get to that more as we, as we look at verse 12 in particular, but that's what verse 12 is all about. But our proclamation of God to be who he is, our proclamation in regard to Jesus and who he is. And we see what God did for us here in this ninth verse. As we proclaim him, proclaim his praises, proclaim his excellencies, the one who called us out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Even though we are walking in the darkness of this world, we also are walking with him in this world, but we've been called out of the world and into his marvelous light. We are no longer of the world. We, we are of the kingdom of God, right? We are citizens of heaven. You guys see yourselves that way? We need to. We need to see ourselves that way. You know, and again, it just fits with what we see coming up in verse 11. Beloved I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims. We'll see that in just a moment. But out of darkness and into his marvelous light. The Apostle Paul, when he was before Governor Felix, every time I say Felix, I think of Felix the cat. I don't know about you guys. <laughs> anyway. When... <laughs> When the Apostle Paul was giving his testimony to Governor Felix, he said in chapter 26 of the book of Acts, verses 17 and 18, he's quoting Jesus in terms of the mission, the role that Jesus was giving to Paul. And he says to him, I will deliver you from the Jewish people as well as from the Gentiles to whom I now send you, to not to do this, to open their eyes in order to turn them from darkness to light 
and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who are sanctified by faith in me. I love that. And, and we have benefited from Paul's ministry much as we read through the New Testament, of course. But it's been something that has been a part of the church since the church was started. But turned, turning from darkness to light, turning from the darkness of, well, the ignorance of who God is. We just talked about how the world sees, sees God. You know, th that's a part of what that darkness is all about. Not understanding him, not seeing him clearly for who he really is. And our hearts and minds being clouded by the, by the deception and the lies of this world. And even by the deception of our own hearts. Our own hearts. Let's not forget that the testimony, well, not the testimony, but the words that Jeremiah spoke from God in regard to who and what we are, apart from him. That, that our hearts are desperately wicked and deceitful above all things. You know, and as I think about that, that that's something that the Lord just spoke to my heart many, 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 many years ago. I, I, I actually got it from, um, from the Lord through um, Jerry Bridges, an author, he, he wrote the book, The Pursuit of Holiness. If you guys have not read that book, I encourage you to do so. Early in my Christian walk, it was a foundational book that God used to move me toward that, well, pursuit of God's holiness. Not that, not that I would get his holiness. He gave it to me already, but that I might begin to live according to that holiness. That, that, he's, that he's given me. But this idea that my heart is deceitful above all things, there is nothing on the planet, not even Satan himself, who can, who can deceive me as effectively as my own heart. You know that phrase, I'm my own worst enemy? In a on a spiritual level, that is absolutely true. And so I can't trust my own thinking until my thinking is formed by the Word of God. At that point, I can't, but not until. So we, we, we just have to be careful about that. But the point is the darkness, the darkness within us naturally because of our sin nature, the darkness that's in this world because of sin in the world, the brokenness that is there, the deception, that's all a part of it. God has turned us from that darkness into his marvelous, his wonderful light. But it's just a wonderful, wonderful thing. Who were uh, once not a people, verse 10, but are now the people of God, who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. Once we're not a people, not, not, a, not, not, not a group of people united in something, but now we are united in Christ as the people of God. He's brought us into this fellowship with himself. Having not obtained mercy at one time, but now we have. You guys remember 
what your life was like before you had obtained the mercy of God? It's a healthy thing to remember. To um, remember what we were. Not to stay there, but just to know what it was like. Remember what it was like. We, we have a tendency to say, oh, the good old days, you know. Those days were not good. If they were so good, you never would have turned to Jesus. I mean, let's face it. But we did. He has turned us, actually, from that darkness to the marvelous, to, to his marvelous light. Hosea chapter 2. Verse 23, God speaking through the prophet Hosea, Then I will sow her for myself in the earth, speaking of his people, and I will have mercy on her who had not obtained mercy. Then I will say to those who were not my people, You are my people, and they shall say, You are my God. Wonderful, wonderful words. Once not a people, now the people of God. And we sing, you are mine and, and, and we are yours. You know, we, we will sing songs that, 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 that proclaim that. Ephesians 2, verse 4 and 5. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he has loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses and sins, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Rich in mercy because of his great love. Mercy being given to us out of the love of God. Once you've not obtained mercy, but now you have obtained mercy. Praise God for that. Beginning in verse 11, we see really our witness before the Lord being um, written of. And he writes here, Beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims. I want to focus on those two words, sojourners and pilgrims, first. Because what P Peter is saying, this is what, what we now are. We are sojourners and pilgrims. We are sojourning in this world. We are walking in this place in, of, of which we don't have citizenship. We're citizens of, of heaven, not here. And when we regard this as a spiritual warfare, and, and it's not like we're not supposed to be here. We're supposed to be here because, well, God has us here. You know, when we, get sa when we got saved, he didn't, he didn't just at that moment, moment transport us into his presence in heaven. He left us here as sojourners and pilgrims. Now, before we got saved, we weren't sojourners and pilgrims because we were just a part of this world. We, are, we were of this world. We're no longer of this world. We're of Christ. We're of his kingdom. And there is a spiritual warfare that's going on, which means while we're walking in this world as sojourners and as pilgrims, as soldiers, 
we are in enemy territory. We're behind enemy lines, aren't we? And we don't belong in the sense of having a sense of belonging because the world is far different than what we now are. Not different than what we were, but different than what we are now because of what God has done in us. He's changed us. We are a new creation in Christ Jesus. All things have passed away. All things have, have become new, right? That's who we are. And so there may be times when we just simply don't feel like we belong. I hope there are times that we feel like that. I hope that it happens fairly often, actually. But sometimes that becomes an issue for us. Because quite frankly, you and I were created as social beings with a need to belong. We were created with, 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 with a need to be dependent on God himself, first and foremost, to rely on him, but also to have a dependence on other people. That's what relationships are all about. But if we depend on relationships with people who are of the world, as people who are not of the world, that can be a problem. But depend because we want to belong, sometimes when we realize we don't belong, we feel like we don't belong, in our minds we're thinking, but I want to belong. Well, that's what church is all about. That's what fellowship with our brothers and sisters in Christ is all about. Because we have a like-minded heart. We are like-minded toward the truth of Scripture. We're like-minded toward Jesus and who he is. We, we embrace what he's given us. We embrace the fact that we don't belong to this world. We now belong to heaven as citizens. And in that, we can be a support to one another even as we go out into the world during the week to the workplace or whatever it may be, and we do this warfare, and we come back and get strengthened. Or you call somebody up and say, hey, I need prayer. I, I, today was a rough day. I mean, to support each other, to pray, but that, that's what we need to do. We need to depend on each other, not on people in the world. And when we come to Christ relationships with people who have not yet come to Christ, who are where we used to be, those relationships have to be redefined. And we need to find our source of strength from one another. From Christ, of course, through one another. That's a better way to put it. Through one another. Um, not through people who are in the world. Sojourners and pilgrims. But Peter already has been dealing with this. He, he referred to it in chapter 1, verse 1, when he was addressing the letter to the pilgrims of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia. Called them pilgrims. In verse 17, he wrote, Conduct yourselves throughout the time of your stay here in fear. We have a limited amount of time here. While we are in this world, where we don't fit in. He's going to be bringing us home. That's why we say that we go home to be with the Lord. Those who've gone before us, they went home to Jesus. 
That's home. This isn't. Let's stop trying to make this feel like it's home. Let's just acknowledge the reality that we are pilgrims, sojourners in a foreign land seeking our home above. Hebrews writes that about Abraham. In fact, in that chapter, Hebrews chapter 11, uh, that chapter that we call the Hall of Faith chapter, after uh, the writer writes about Abel, Enoch, Noah, Abraham, uh, Jacob, and Sarah, he then wrote this in verse 13 of chap chapter 11, these all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, were assured of them, embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. You know, um, Joel Osteen wrote a book entitled Your Best Life Now, which we cannot experience now. There's no way we can experience our best life now. And there are times that some ignore all of the truths of Scripture in order to make a particular point. Now, I believe that the best life we can have now is a life of service to our Lord Jesus Christ. That's how we'll experience our best life now, but our best life is still ahead of us when we come into the presence of our Lord Jesus. That's when we'll experience our best life. And I think we have to be careful not to make a distinction between, uh, um, as if we have two separate lives, a life here and a life up above. It's like it's, it's one continuous life. We're just, we're just moving, changing location is what it is, right? So we, ha we have to be careful about that. But this is what the, the, the heroes of faith did. They confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth, so you feel like you don't belong. You know, I, back in uh, 1987, uh, I, along with a couple of other brothers, Pastor David uh, Rosales at Calvary Chapel, Chino Valley, um, my pastor then, still my pastor, a very dear friend of mine. But back, in that, that, back then, and that was now 37 years ago now, uh, we, we took a trip to India, a missions trip to India. And I have to tell you, I have never been in a place in which I felt so out of place as in India. I mean, totally different. I mean, everything is different. The food they eat, the air they breathe. I, mean, I remember getting off the plane uh, there in Bombay. It was called Bombay then. Uh, we landed in Bombay, we, and, and it was, you know, you went down the stairs from the plane, and so you were outside. It was hot. The air was thick with humidity, and the air stunk like sewage. And we're going, oh. Welcome to India. And not only that, but the spiritual atmosphere. Talk about darkness, right? I mean, it, it, was, it was the most unpleasant two weeks. I shouldn't say the most unpleasant two weeks of my life, but being in a particular place, you know, for two weeks there, I mean, that, that was incredibly difficult, not fitting in. 
In fact, so much so that we, we flew from Bombay to Frankfurt, Ger Germany. When we got out of the plane and into the airport and we saw some West Western civilization kind of things, felt like we were home. <laughs> really did. Really did. Anyway, you ever feel like you don't belong? I was sharing with my sister just the other day. We, we were talking. My sister Myrna from... Um, who lives in Montana, she came down to, to be with uh, us and, and mom before she went home to Jesus. And the Lord blessed us with a, a really good day with my mom, by the way, the Monday before she passed. She, a, a really good day with her. Uh, and that was the day Myrna came. And she was able to spend some quality time with mom. That was a real blessing. Anyway, year, years ago, she and her husband, Ron, had moved up to Montana and they bought a business. It was a it was a restaurant and bar. After that, Myrna came to the Lord Jesus. Ron had not yet come to the Lord. And, and she was telling me about how she remembers one day, one evening, she was um, in the office attached there to the business, and she was hearing what was going on out there. After she was born again, hearing this stuff, you know, just the sounds of the bar. And she just had this distinct feeling, I don't belong here. I do not belong here. Now, Ron, praise the Lord, did come to the Lord, to, to, to the Lord a, a bit later. Uh, they they uh, now do not own that business any longer. But, you know, it's amazing what our hearts and minds can do in wanting us to seek to belong, but we belong to heaven, and we belong to to citizens of heaven, even as now we are sojourning in this world. Philippians 3.20, our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Peter writes, I beg you. That's the same word that Paul used in Romans 12, 1 and 2. In verse 1, he said, I beseech you. Romans writes, I mean, Paul writes in Romans, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, mercy, excuse me, let me start over. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. And, and there can be times that because we feel like we don't fit in, we may want to change our ways so that we can fit in. No, we need to change who we're hanging out with so that we'll fit in with the people that God called us to fit in with. Now, Peter writes as sojourners and as pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. And going on, having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles. And as Peter writes this, as a Jewish man, he thinks of the differentiation between Jew and Gentile, of course, but the context speaks of the differentiation between believer and unbeliever. And that's what we see here. So, Gentile doesn't always mean Gentile in this context. It just uh, speaks about the unbeliever. 
among the Gentiles that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works which they observe glorify God in the day of visitation. Abstain. Stay away from the lusts of the flesh, the desires of the flesh. In Galatians 5, 16 to 21, we see Paul the Apostle writing of the works of the flesh. Our desires in our, flesh, in our fleshly nature, in our, in our sin nature, will lead to these works. But look at this list here. Paul writes, beginning in verse 16, before he gets to the list, he says, Walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Walk in the Spirit, you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. That's, that's a wonderful promise to us and instruction from the Apostle Paul. For the flesh lusts against the Spirit and the Spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary to one another so that you do not do the things that you wish. Romans chapter 7, right? But if you are led by the Spirit... You're not under the law. Now, the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, fornication, uncleanness. Uh, excuse me. Come here. I'm having trouble here this morning. You know, last Wednesday, I realized I forgot to have my glasses on while I was, while I was up here. Right now, I'm thinking, maybe I need to take them off. Anyway. The works of the flesh, verse 19 again, are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like. This is not an exhaustive list, but stuff like this. Of which I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. He didn't say those who do such things, but those who practice such things. Make it a habitual way of living. Some of these particular things. Now, we can walk with the Lord... And once in a while, the old flesh rises up and we find ourselves drawn to something like this. If we give in and we fail, we seek God for forgiveness and we just continue on. In fact, he's already given us that forgiveness. We just repent and move forward. But if it's something that is happening again and again and again and again and again, often as it's a habitual practice, that's where the problem is especially those who would insist that the sin that they're committing actually isn't sin at all. That's something that we have to give our regard to. God defines sin. Not you, not me. It's the word of God that defines it. It's something that's very important for us. But the point being that there's this issue in our hearts and in our minds in regard to the, the lust of the flesh, the desires of the flesh, which war against the soul. James 4.1 says, Where do wars and fights come from among you? Do they not come from your desires for pleasure that war 
in your members, within you. It's our own desire that's the problem. Temptation isn't the problem. It's our desire that's the problem. If I didn't have a desire to sin, sin wouldn't be a problem. But the desire is there because of of my sin nature, my flesh. So I have to move away from those things. And I I need to, as uh, Peter writes, to um, abstain from those things. And we're to live honorably with honorable conduct rather than the lusts of or the desires of the flesh, those things that would be according to the fruit of the Spirit after this in Galatians chapter 5. But look at this in in Isaiah chapter 5, verse 20. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Do you guys see, as I do, our world becoming more and more like this all the time? Calling evil good and good evil. Calling, I mean, we don't have time to get into these, but I mean, this gender confusion thing and where that's led, to the point where there are doctors who actually think it's a good thing to do to do these surgeries, changing the genital makeup of a person. It's crazy. It's evil. I mean, it it, it is one of the greatest evils I've ever seen to do that to a young person lie to them, do this, and destroy their lives for the rest of their life. Now, those same people can find peace in Jesus, but they will never physically be okay. They never will. Their hearts can't. Only by the grace of God. And that's what our world does. It calls evil good and good evil. So they... They speak evil against us as evildoers. When we want to save a baby's life in the womb, they call us evil because we're working against the free, the free choice of the woman who was created as a woman with a womb to contain a baby, to give that baby a safe place to develop and grow until that baby is ready to enter into this world from outside his or her mama's body. You know, and we're evil for doing that. Confused, confused world. But we see Peter saying, conduct ourselves honorably, live in an honorable way, being honest about who we are and living accordingly, so that they someday, on the day of visitation, that day, in which, in fact, we see, um, I found this out of one of my commentaries, uh, uh, a man by the name of Spence Jones, who said, when God, describing day of visitation, when God should visit the heathen with his converting grace, 
seeking to draw them to himself, whether by gracious chastisement or by the preaching of his servants. When others watch us living honorably before God, they, even perhaps even by watching us, that's a, a sense of visitation from God. Jesus, of course, spoke uh, to the Jews who did not recognize him, uh, saying that they did not understand the day of visitation when it came, his presence with them. Matthew 5.16, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. You ladies are doing your, your, your Tuesday night, uh, or Tuesday day or night groups together, basically on this passage, looking at the Sermon on the Mount. Let your light so shine. I'm going to close with this remark from Warren Wiersbe, who wrote this. During my many years of ministry, I have seen the powerful impact Christians can make on the lost when they combine a godly life with a loving witness. I remember many instances of some wonderful conversions simply because dedicated Christians let their lights shine. On the other hand, I recall with grief some lost persons who rejected the word because of the inconsistent lives of professed believers. Guys, one thing that we have to realize is that However we are living our lives, we are preaching a message and we also are impacting people around us. If we say we love Jesus and we act like we don't, that means nothing to people around us and, and, and they'll, they'll say, well, you're just as hypocritical as anybody else. Now, we have to be careful about that. We, we, we need to seek Jesus in relationship. It's about, about him changing who we are, being a new creation. At the same time, though, as a new creation, as Peter writes, live in such a way that people, when they watch you, even if they have bad things to say about you, there's going to be a day when they're visited by God and they're going to praise him saying, you know what, that guy, that gal, I was so wrong. The truth will win out. But guys, we are in the business of first and foremost glorifying God. But as we do, he will use us to be a light in the darkness and draw people to himself. Your primary job is to glorify God, not to win people. That's the Holy Spirit's job. But he will use you, if you live a life glorifying God, to show people who he really is rather than what they've been taught by the lies of the world. That can take time, it can take consistency, but let's allow God to use us. Let's put ourselves in a place where he can use us to his own glory and to the salvation of people around us, amen? amen. And Father, help us, we pray. Pour out your spirit upon us. Thank you, Lord, for your word, these words from the pen of the apostle Peter encouraging us first and foremost in terms of who we are now because of what you have done for us. My goodness, Lord, thinking of these terms, chosen generation, royal priesthood, holy nation, his own special people, and you've called us to act accordingly. 
so that you will be praised, so that we will proclaim the glories of your excellencies, Lord, and that others see that. They'll see the, 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 the way it contrasts with the message that they are getting from the world. Lord, help us, God, we pray. And Lord, might you be glorified in us as a group of people, as your church, and individually as we go out from this place today, going home, going out to, to lunch, uh, among people in the world, people of the world, uh, in, in, the, in the marketplace, on the job, wherever it may, wherever it may be. Might we live in such a way that they glorify you when they encounter you, Lord. Father, have your way with us, we pray. We thank you, we love you, and we ask it all in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen.